You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. James chapter 1 verse 5 puts it like this. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach. Amen. Without reproach. I love those two words because that simply means this. He never gets upset. He never sinks his teeth into you. He never says, not again. I can't believe you're talking to me. I don't. Never, ever does he does that. In fact, rather he's saying, what do you need? What are you asking for? Jesus is always there. Can you think of a scripture that, that reminds us that God is ready to meet with us at any time? Can you think of one right now? Let me give you one on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. And it illustrates something so powerful. It says that we can go with confidence. Now, if you're going somewhere with confidence, I see somebody walking briskly. They're walking upright. They're excited. They, 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 they're going to see someone. They're, they're thrilled. There's, there's a... There's a jump in their step. There's a zip in their step. They're, they're going with confidence. So it says about going to God, he says, we can go with confidence to this place called the throne of grace. So it sounds as if Jesus is sitting on this throne of grace. And it says we can receive mercy and grace to help us. How to find help when you need it. You get mercy and grace to help you in time of what? Need. So picture Someone like yourself or me confidently going to the throne of grace. And what do we see as we get closer? We see God on his throne at the edge of the seat going, they're coming, they're coming. It's awesome. Here they come. I can't wait. 24-7, 365 days a year. He's ready. It's always good timing to talk to God. It's always good timing for him to meet your needs. Never is there a time when God is not leaning forward on his throne, desiring that you come before him. Amen. It's an amazing thought. What this woman had to overcome to get to Jesus, you will never have to overcome. Every time, all the time, is the right time to talk to God. Amen. Obstacle number two. She said, in effect, with her life, I won't let failure stand in my way. I'm not going to let my past get in the way of me getting to Jesus and asking him for help. Mark chapter 7, verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him we'll pick up the rest of the verse in a few moments but let's just let's just look at those words because those are pretty good those are pretty amazing things look here it says here that there was a woman who had a little daughter i want to begin by saying this first of all you'd be hard-pressed in the scriptures to miss while you're reading the gospels that jesus had incredible compassion on women do it sometime read through the gospels they're beautiful to read through It's something I would advise every believer to do maybe once every three years at least. And I'm I'm saying that at least. But as you read through the Gospels, just notice the incredible compassion that Jesus had on women. And women, you you have such an amazing way with God. And he loves you in in, I think a unique way. If I could just say it like that. And then notice it says here that they heard of him. She heard of him. What was she hearing? 
What was she hearing about Jesus? Well, his reputation of casting out demons had preceded him. There's already been many times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus had cast out a demon. No doubt she had this daughter with an unclean spirit. She heard that Jesus was casting out unclean spirits. Mark chapter number 1, it says here in verse number, help me out. In Mark 1, 27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Again, in Mark chapter 1, verse 39, it says, And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Again, in Mark chapter 6, and verse 13, And they cast out many demons. So she had heard this. Here she has this need. She needs help. She's heard that Jesus is already doing this. So this woman had a daughter with an unclean spirit. No mention of her husband. We're not sure the details of her situation. Maybe she was a widow. We don't know, but maybe she was. Maybe she was divorced. Maybe she just had her hopes and dreams that had been shattered. Maybe she was an unwed mother. But I want you to listen to this next, these next few moments. Because the reality of spiritual warfare in this world, the reality of demonic issues in our world, in many cases, and especially in Baptist churches, I feel, really falls on deaf ears. It's just, you know, that's a spooky subject. There's so much said about this. Listen, we're not getting spooky this morning. We're not getting controversial this morning. We're just speaking some truth this morning that between heaven and earth, there is a spirit world. And the Bible speaks of the spirit world as a place where there is a battle going on between principalities and powers and the, the, the light and darkness is at war with one another. It's a real war that's taking place even as I preach this morning. In the spirit world, angels and principalities and demons are wrestling forces of light against forces of darkness. And we have labeled so many of our problems as horizontal problems. It's just kind of how we label them. We, you know, go see a doctor. And I'm not against a doctor. Believe me. I, I think I've already talked about that. But for a moment, let me speak on the other side of it. You know, we, it, it, it seems to always be about something horizontal when in reality, many or some of our problems are spiritual problems. Every sickness is not a medical problem. Every struggle in the mind is not a chemical imbalance. So I say this morning to you that the Bible teaches that God created numberless angelic beings. God created that from the beginning of time. How many is numberless? Anybody got a guess? Trillions? Googleplex? I mean, it's a lot. Numberless is a lot. And so in Isaiah 14, the Bible teaches that Satan, who rebelled against God, was cast down from heaven along with how many? One-third... Of all those numberless angelic beings. So, another question. I know you don't know the answer. Neither do I. How many is one-third of numberless? Still a lot, right? It may be true that there are more demonic beings in the world than people. And they're sitting around playing cards, right? No. No, they're busy. We don't have it all figured out. I'm telling you right now. It's not just go see a psychiatrist. Go see a psychologist. Take this pill. Take this medicine. You've got this diagnosis. It's not always that. 
in reality, the depression that you can't shake. Listen to me. Maybe, maybe, sometimes, not all the time, but maybe it is a demonic issue to bring you to a place of defeat so that the glory of Christ and the victory that he's provided for you will not be experienced in your life. We are too horizontal thinking that we end up denying the reality of these spiritual things that are taking place. And how does it happen? I think there's two things that happen, two ways a demonic spirit can influence the Christian's life. Number one, by personal disobedience. I think Romans 6.16 gives us some insight into that. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So example, if you were to do everything that I told you to do, if you were just to say, Pastor, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to do every time. I'm just going to obey you, do what you say every single time. In essence, really, for all intents and purposes, you're my slave. I mean, that's, that's again, who you are the slaves to the one whom you obey. So if every time a demonic influence tempts you and you do what it says... In that area, you are under the control of the enemy. Again, Romans 6.16 on the screen. Pay close attention. As a believer, here's the, here's the question. How much control are you going to give up in your life? You see, a believer can break the cycle. A non-believer can't. If you're a believer today, you've got something that a non-believer doesn't have. You cannot be demon-possessed. I understand that. But there are many who have been influenced by Satan because we have listened and obeyed in, in, in that temptation. We find ourselves a slave to that. That's one way that I believe we can give up control in our lives by personal disobedience. Here's number two, generational disobedience. In, Rev, in Genesis, rather Exodus chapter 20 and verse 4, God is going to Moses and he's giving him the Ten Commandments, right? So let's just jump right into verse 4. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Pretty, pretty stiff stuff here, pretty clear stuff. No idols, no idolatry, period. Verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Okay. Visiting. Let's talk about that word first. Visiting. Showing up. Bringing to bear. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers. And here's the the tough part. On the children. And here's the tougher part. And the grandchildren, and this one hurts, and even the great-grandchildren of those who hate me. I love verse 6. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but thank God. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love and keep my commandments. 
It's very possible that even today in our church there are children who are predisposed to the sin of their parents, their grandparents, and their great-grandparents. And what I'm asking you this morning, everyone here, children, parents, all of us, we need to find some motivation right now to do what's right. And if you can't motivate yourself for your own sake, then here's what I'm asking you to do. And I I remember the very first youth workers conference we ever had, like 15 years ago, we entitled it For the Sake of the Children. We need to find motivation to get victory over the sin in our lives for the sake of our children and the sake of our grandchildren and the sake of our great-grandchildren. I've said this for years But it is so motivational sometimes for me just to take a look at the family God's given me. We took family pictures on vacation. Go to the one where I'm sitting in the white chair real quick. Because it's funny. Because here's what happened. I'm sitting in this big white chair. And what happened is the kids just say, hey, why don't, you know, why don't you have a seat? Kind of like we're old, you know. We just have a seat. It's going to be okay. You guys just sit down, rest, relax. And we're like, I'm fine. What they're saying is you're old. (laughs) Old people sit down. We stand around you and smile, you know. But when we sat down, I was sitting down as a dad. And I was sitting down as a granddad. But then I look at KJ, my oldest grandson, who just turned eight. Got to thinking, dude. Man, if he gets married when he's 28. To 75. I mean, I could live to be a great grandfather. That's cool. I got excited about that. And I thought, you know, for the sake of my children, for the sake of my grandchildren, for the sake of my great grandchildren, I want to get victory over the sin that plagues me and that I struggle with. A son who struggles with temptation unbeknownst to him. It's because a father or a grandfather or a great-grandfather who never got victory over that sin. And with that as a backdrop, I want us to take a look at this woman who had a daughter with an unclean spirit. Verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. Again, probably somewhere in her background there was a prolonged disobedience or rejection of truth from someone. Probably. She heard of him and she came and fell down at his feet. I want you to notice those words that are in bold written. She heard, she came, she fell down at his feet. I don't know what her past was. I don't know if she was an unwed mother. I don't know if this was because of generational disobedience. But I'm going to tell you something I do know. Are you ready? I do know that whatever her past was, it was not going to get in the way of what she needed. I know that. Whatever it was. And is your past often an obstacle between you and God? Is it? Because I've got some good news for you this morning. And and we even... I think spent some moments in our confessional prayer and and, and some moments in our worship today. The last song, I think we sang, Jordan said something about, let's think of God's forgiveness. You have been forgiven of your past sins. Amen. You've been redeemed. If you are a child of God today, you can come before him with confidence. You've been forgiven. She did not let her past get in her way. 
I love these desperation prayer meetings we've been having. We've had two so far. We've got one more to go. We're finishing it up Thursday at 6.30 in the auditorium. Men, if you haven't come yet, we encourage you to come at least once. Even if you can only come for a few moments before you have to go to work, come. But I want our ladies to know that after we finish, we're going to actually pick up and have three weeks of ladies' prayer meetings. My wife and Jillian Horton are going to lead those prayer meetings with you ladies. So soon, we'll be able to put into practice what these precious women in the Bible are teaching us about desperate prayer. Number three, she said in effect with her life, I'm not going to let timing get in my way. I'm not going to let my past get in my way. And thirdly, I am not going to let identity get in my way. Look at verse 26. The woman was a Greek. She was a Syrophoenician woman by birth. Now, I think that Mark's trying to tell us something here. First of all, she was not a Jew. She was a Gentile. Mark wants the reader to know this. It was very serious because the cards were stacked against this lady. Christ had already gone on record as saying that the primary focus of his ministry was going to be to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, he he knew and we know that ultimately it was God's plan for the gospel to go to the four corners of the world, to all parts of the earth. But Christ was focusing in on the nation of Israel. Offering the gospel to them for which, obviously, they would reject. But there's some significance here. Because so often, identity is the key subject matter. Lately, it seems like it's just risen to the top of most of our sermons. There's so many podcasts on identity, identity, identity. The truth of the matter is, everybody is concerned about who. Think about our cell phones. They ring and we go, I ain't getting that. I'm letting that go to voicemail, you know. It's just, who is it? Who's calling? I don't recognize that number. Who is it? I'll let that go. I'll find out later. It's all about who. And this woman knew that her nationality might be a problem. It might be an issue. But she was wrong. Because Jesus wasn't bothered by it. And I want to say this right now. Nationality doesn't mean anything to God. This racial prejudice is one of the great wickednesses of our day. And I say that with with, with all authority from heaven. I pray that God will continue to grow the racial diversity of our church. I'm thankful that Amos today, for whatever reason, I didn't ask, but for whatever reason, he said, hey, can we we baptize at gospel light? I'm thankful today that Amos was willing, after a some of the tragedies were taking place in our nation to sit with me on a platform and have a, a good heart-to-heart talk that wasn't a perfect talk, as we said, but it was a great talk. It was a start that's leading now to this. I've been told that maybe one or two families have left our church because of it. You know what that tells me? Even though I didn't want them to leave, and I hate that anyone would leave, but I'll tell you, it means we really don't have a big problem with it in the church this size. I mean, you figure whenever you do something where there's so much tension in the nation and you only have a couple families walk away, and I get it. I'm not even mad. I understand. Some folks, they're just not where we're at with this thing. I don't think we have a problem with that, but I do think we have a problem with people feeling as if their spiritual background just doesn't measure up. That's where I think the problem is. 
I can't tell you how many times in 28 years as a pastor, people say, I just don't have, you know, I mean, just look at, look at Scott or, you know, look at, look at you, pastor. I mean, you know, look, look at this family or that family. I mean, and I get it. You know, they, they, they look at people who have a strong spiritual family. We've been raised in a Christian. And they automatically think that that's really what it takes. Do not let the lack of a spiritual heritage cause you to be intimidated in any way in coming to the Lord. It's not how many verses you've memorized. It's not whose parents you have. It's not how many years you went to Sunday school. There's two very important things to understand. Number one, Christian background is not a guarantee of spiritual success. It's not. My wife grew up in a church... And she, she, there was a young lady that she knows, and, and this young lady began to date someone. And when it was announced they were getting married, here's what was said from the pulpit. And I quote, she's marrying Christian royalty. Mm. See, that should have been like an alarm right there. Okay, that was a good timing right there. <laughs> that was God saying, pick up the phone right now. Listen to this preacher. He's telling you the truth. I'm serious. You don't think God can make a phone ring? By the way, don't worry about who it is either. Amen. Let it go to voicemail. I love it. So this, it was announced. Oh, this is so wonderful. She's marrying Christian royalty. Man, you know, they say at the wedding, you know, there was like a, it was like a who's who of evangelical Christians at that time. Everybody, pastors from all over the world came into this wedding. It was huge. It was incredible. I mean, she's marrying this guy that's like his dad was like the pastor of the world's largest church. Amazing. Incredible. Wow. She's so lucky. After their honeymoon, things began to come out. I really fast forward to the end of the story. The guy ended up being a predator, being immoral, going to jail. Crazy things. You say, Pastor, why? what are you telling us? Well, I've heard sad stories like that all my life. And so I just want everybody here to know, if you're here this morning, you've only known Christ for a few months, you can be more mature in Christ than many of those in this room if you'll follow Christ with your whole heart faithfully. Because Christian background is not a guarantee to spiritual success. Number two. A non-Christian background is not an automatic negative. I was thinking this morning in our first services when Jeremy Horton attends church, you heard him this morning do the offering. Jeremy didn't walk into a church until he was 16. His family was very unchristian. He went to one VBS to flirt with girls. (laughs) That's it. First time he ever went to a church on a Sunday was age 16 with his grandparents who made him go. And I think about Jeremy and his fervor for Christ and his, his just surrender to God. And I see that and I realize that, look, here is a lady in the Bible who has no prominent position or background at all. And she went before the Lord fervently. Because she said, I'm not going to let identity get in my way. I love it. Number four. I think she said, in effect, with her life, I won't let delay get in my way. Look at verse number 26. 
This woman was a Greek, a a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him. She kept asking him. Now, when I read that, I I love to put myself in the story. I'm thinking, okay, what did this look like? Okay, she's talking to Jesus. She's trying to get help because she needs help, and she's asking Jesus for help. What is he doing? Is he ignoring her? Is he looking the other way? Is she trying to interrupt a conversation? I, I mean, think about it. It's kind of a strange thing. We don't know the details. We weren't there. We can only imagine that she kept asking him over and over and over again. So here's the, here's the question. Why did she do it? And why do we need to keep asking him? Because persistence is what allows faith to grow and faith is what moves God to answer. Faith. Please don't miss this because we have a problem with our faith because we don't feel God is listening. Remember our questions in the beginning? I'm just not getting answers, so I just quit. I just feel like, you know, maybe it's, I just feel like maybe God's like holding some things against me. I feel this way. If I could just, if I could count the number of times I hear people say in the course of a week to me, I just feel, I feel, I feel, I feel. So what I've done is I've got a little poem for you. I want want you to listen to this poem. I want to walk you through this poem. And I want you to ask God to help you not to let your feelings control the situation. You ready? Three men were walking on a wall. Feeling, faith, and fact. When feeling took an awful fall, faith was taken back. So close was faith to feeling that he stumbled and fell too. But fact remained and pulled faith back and faith brought feeling too i can't tell you how many times that little poem has helped me to not put so much stock in my feelings but to be anchored to fact and to faith Because if all we do is ride our feelings, we are not going to get our needs met. We must rest on fact and faith, and then feelings will follow. Feelings don't always lead, but fact and faith will lead. Here's the last thing. I won't let pride stand in my way. In effect, she said with her life, It's not going to happen. I need help, and I'm getting to Jesus, and I'm not going to let my stupid pride get in my way. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 27, and we'll close. You're not going to believe. You're not going to believe this. I'm just giving you a heads up. So he says to her, Jesus says to her, here's what Jesus says. Let the children be fed first, she says to this woman who comes to Jesus begging for help. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Jeremy got here early. I get here about 6. Jeremy got here about 7. I said, Jeremy, what do you make of that statement? And he said to me, 
Every time I read that, here's what I say. I can't believe Jesus said that. It's like, what? That, whoa. I mean, it's almost like, honestly, it's almost like the translators must have gotten it wrong. This is no way. But he did say it. He looks right into her eyes. I'm guessing if she fell at his feet, do you think she's emotional? Do you think she's crying? I'm thinking she's weeping. Jesus looks right into this lady who's at his feet, tears streaming down her face. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The bread in the story represents all the good things that God does for us. The dog represents the woman in the story. Jesus, in effect, was asking her, how much do you really want this? It was a test. Are you willing to persist? Are you willing to humble yourself? This is the key. Because so many of us are filled with pride sometimes. Me included. So many of us are filled with pride. God, how could you do this? God, I can't believe this. I've I've been asking. I've done this. I've done that. I've... I just, and we end up getting as if we are in the place of God. We know more than God, and God's just kind of behind the times and needs to figure things out because we. But the kind of prayer that Jesus answers requires brokenness and humility, and this lady had both. Both. It was as if she was in the Old Testament when Jacob said, I won't let go until you bless me. Now listen to her response, because the statement that she made is why her daughter got healed. Are you ready? Verse 27 again. Verse 27 again. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she says, yes, Lord. Yes. Yet even the dogs under the table. Eat the children's crumbs. Wow. This blows me away. This statement that she makes is absolutely so phenomenal. Look at the humility here. Go, go, back, go back to verse 27 for a moment. Notice he, she responds as if he says, let the children be fed first. First implies there's a second. So she says, listen, if, if, if there's needs that are more important than mine, I'm willing to wait. I'm good. I don't have to be first. I'm good. I could be second, third, whatever. doesn't matter. Just, I'm just asking for my daughter to be healed. I'm good, God. You, first is fine. Let, in effect, she says, dogs? Okay, dogs. Let's do a lesson on dogs. No problem. I get it. Dogs are dogs, and I don't mind if that's what it takes. I, I really don't. In fact, if my problem is not a, a big enough issue, God, I'm willing to just wait until you, you, you feel it is enough of an issue for me to get an answer. God, that's no problem. And then the crumbs on the table, sure, God, I, I like crumbs. I mean, at the end of the day, God, if that's all I get is crumbs, as long as you're the one that's giving me the crumbs. Because God, as long as they're your crumbs, they're the crumbs I want. Do you see this? Do you see the brokenness, the humility? 
The next statement that Jesus makes is he, he says this to her. In verse 30, and she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. What does scripture say? It says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord. In 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. In Psalm 34 verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Can I be the first to confess? Jordan, as you read that confessional prayer today, that was me. I'm just going to confess it. I'm selfish. And sometimes I put me before others. Sometimes with my money, I tend to say, you know what? I know I could give a little extra to God's work, help him, but I, I, I kind of want something myself this week. You say, Pastor, wait a minute. You're like that? I am. I'm, I am filled with pride sometimes. I have to fight it all the time. And if you would examine your life before God today, that if you sat in this audience and said, I'm not reading that prayer, that's not me, you probably need it the most. The truth of the matter is, we fight against anything that presses us to humble ourselves. I see it when I'm counseling a husband and wife. It's her fault, it's his fault, it's her fault, it's his fault. And I say often, could somebody just admit they're wrong like a little bit? We could probably get somewhere if I could get one person to humble themselves. Just one, anybody, anybody volunteer. Because we're going, we're going nowhere right now if it's everybody else's fault. Humble yourselves. Do you know why it says under the mighty hand of God? Because most of the time we won't humble ourselves until God puts his hand on our shoulder and says, you're going down. And we're fighting him all the way. I'm not, no, you're going down. We're going to get there one way or the other so much easier just to do what this lady did (laughs) he just fall on his feet just fall on his feet he's worthy of our praise our love he's worthy of it just fall on his feet say God I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry for the way I've treated someone I'm sorry for I've been selfish I'm sorry God I don't mind. I'll take the crumbs under the table. If they're your crumbs, that's all I need. It was that statement that got her daughter life. Could I encourage you to take this moment to kneel your hearts before God? That's why we give a little response time. We just do it because we feel as if it's needed. I mean, people need an opportunity to respond. I mean, either at the altar, in your seat, however you need to do it. I'll be up front. I think I'll have an elder or two with me if you need to pray. If you're here today, you've never been saved, I'd love to just take a moment after the service. Come forward, let me know that God is is, is drawing you to himself this morning and you you feel that you're under conviction of your sin this morning, don't walk out of this place lost. Let baptism be a testimony of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your sins. Father, I love you. God, I pray that you would take these words. Lord, we may, may we not be a people who feel like we have learned it all. But may we be a people today who feel as if we need to learn something 
God, humble us. Father, take us to a place of brokenness. Whatever it takes, may we humble ourselves, God. And if we can't do it ourselves, may it today be under the mighty hand of God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?